New York City, 1945. The golden age of the Corleone crime family. Led by aging patriarch Vito Corleone, the family controls Manhattan and is one of the so-called five families that control organized crime in New York City. The others being the, the Tatalias, the Barzinis, the Cunios, and the Strachis. Vito's power and respect amongst other crime lords helps keep the peace. But when an attempt is made on his life by a drug baron named Virgil the Turk Salazzo, war breaks out between the Corleones and the Tatalias, starting a chain reaction that unwinds decades of peace, forces Vito's youngest son Michael into the family business, and gave audiences everywhere one of the greatest franchises in film history. Sit back, grab yourself a cannoli, and strap yourself in. With a total of 29 Oscar nominations and 9 wins, this is the Godfather Trilogy. Weird Shit Wednesday is upon us once again, listeners, and on this day we take a break from horror to bring you our thoughts on something else. A film icon's career, a Hollywood scandal, or in this case, a look back on an enduring film franchise. This is Filmgasm, a podcast you can't refuse, and I'm Connor Izagari, the Don of the Filmgasm family. I'm joined by my faithful consigliere, Austin Johnson, and today we will be talking about Francis Ford Coppola's undisputed masterpiece, The Godfather. Oh yeah. (laughs) His incredible follow-up, The Godfather Part 2, and the film that proved nepotism is always a bad idea, The Godfather Part 3. Thanks for joining us today on what proves to be a fun episode for fans of mob movies and really just fans of classic cinema. Hell yeah. I've got a nice girthy rewind for you here. First one hailing from Amityville. I happened to be looking into Amityville recently, and I discovered a treasure trove of unofficial sequels that I had completely missed. In addition to the ten films I had mentioned in the Amityville podcast, there are twelve more straight-to-DVD spinoffs that weren't even listed on the original's IMDb page. I won't give the plot synopses, as I really don't think they're worth checking out. How'd you find this? Wikipedia had them just listed out like unofficial spinoffs that you'd find in like the dollar bin at Walmart. Oh, Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. And I'm going to just read you off the titles, because I'm Hell yeah, I'm excited. I've never, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know this existed. Yeah, these are all real films. I looked them up. And they all have less than a 4.0 on IMDb. Two, yeah. 2011's The Amityville Haunting. 2013's The Amityville Asylum. 2015's Amityville Death House. 2015's The Amityville Playhouse. 2016's Amityville Vanishing Point. 2016's The Amityville Legacy. 2016's The Amityville Terror. 2016's Amityville No Escape. 2016 was a big year for them. Oh my god. 2017's Amityville Evil Never Dies. (laughs) 2017's Amityville Exorcism. 2017's Amityville Prison. (laughs) And my personal favorite, 2018's Amityville Mount Misery Road. (laughs) Mount Misery Road starring Jason Biggs. (laughs) I would not be surprised. Holy shit, folks. What a goldmine of shit films. And for me, at least, none of these titles live up to the best title in horror film history, Amityville 1992, It's About Time. My personal favorite, but, you know, to each his own. Uh, Playhouse. Dollhouse. Unbelievable. Terror. Horror. You just take a scary word, you throw it onto Amityville, and you've got a movie. Man. That's the... I would love, love <laughs> to be a fly on the wall in the room, the writer's room, for what was going on in these. Like... I don't think you have enough cocaine to get yourself in that room, frankly. <laughs> 
Yeah, Cokeheads are known for making movies that get Jesus 4 out of 10 Christ. on IMDb. Oh my god. Next up, I've got a great Conjuring update. And it's from our very own Caleb Leger, Filmgasm's co-founder. Shout out. He had a bit of a bone to pick with me regarding something I said in the Conjuring podcast. Gotta be the Wes Craven. I had said that I considered James yeah. Wan to be the next Wes Craven, and, well, that poked the bear, so to speak. I figured it would. Because <laughs> he, yeah, from what I know, yeah. I don't, I've never met the man, but I, I hear he's a huge fan, so. Oh, yeah. It's all in good fun, but he, he did have something to say about that. And that's I thought right. it'd be great to yeah, hear that's, what that's, he had to say, and he sent me an email, and this is verbatim what he said. This is for you, Caleb. <laughs> Finally had a chance to sit and listen to the Conjuring podcast. Now, my thoughts on James Wan being the new Wes Craven. <laughs> he didn't say like it was good or bad. <laughs> Just straight. I actually disagree with that comment, and this is why. <laughs> I want to start by saying I do definitely get where you're coming from. Both are horror masterminds and have done a lot for the genre. Again, I understand where you're coming from. The reason I disagree is because, for me personally, the statement itself takes away from both of them individually. There will never be another Wes Craven. And there will never be another James Wan. Wes Craven has given us some of the most classic horror movies in the genre. Thanks to his background as well, he also took a very intellectual look into each film he made. He not only understood the genre and its fans, but respected them. He was even able to poke fun at the genre and himself with the Scream franchise. Again, in a very respectable manner. Finally, the man put a single studio on the map. There's a reason New Line Cinema is referred to as the house that Freddy built. As for James Wan, the man is clearly a lover of the genre and it shows. He also has three three franchises under his belt. Saw, Insidious, and The Conjuring. Franchises where you can tell in each one that the ones he directed always seem to be the best. He also brings his love of the genre to his more mainstream studio-backed work when he can. Both Aquaman and Swamp Thing have numerous horror references throughout. I have much respect for that as a good amount break out of the genre and shit on it, but not Juan. So, like I said, I understand your point of view. I do. But, to better honor what both of these men have done for the genre, I have to separate them. Wes Craven, rest in peace, has left a legacy on horror that no one else can. James Wan is also currently leaving his own legacy. I love both and have their respective iconic characters tattooed on my arm. He does, he has an awesome horror sleeve. Just like my signed copy of The Hills Have Eyes, hopefully I can get something James Wan related signed as well. Very happy to talk about this since it breaks up the monotony of my work and I just love talking about horror. Hell yeah, fair enough. Well said, and I'm sure we'll hear more from Caleb and and our other Filmgasm team member Josh Allred in the near future. I want to thank him for reaching out and providing his thoughts on the Wes Craven James Wan uh, controversy. It's great. I I like that because I like that. I'm a huge sports fan, so when people compare compare two athletes together, it's it's like very hard to compare what era they were in. I think it's the same case here. Totally different eras, but I, yeah. I think also what Connor, what you were saying during that that episode was just if we had to have a new Wes Craven, yeah, it'd probably be James Wan. If anybody was going to fill those yeah. shoes, James Wan would be the man I would pick. Yes, but yeah. it is impossible to duplicate Wes Craven's legacy. Yeah, what he did for horror is un- is unmatched. Exactly. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Great input. Yeah. Thank you, Caleb. Yeah. Keep keep it coming, Caleb. On those, I like that a lot. <laughs> That's a good segment, too. We can, uh, you know, get opinions of other people. Yeah. And, uh, you know. I'm uh, hoping this will be a recurring thing. Yeah, for sure. I'm in the works of making that happen right now. For sure. Now, on to the star of today's show, The Godfather. The Godfather began life as a novel by Mario Puzo that was published in 1969. It has relatively the same plot as the first film, only with Vito Corleone's origin story featured as a subplot, and that wouldn't be included until The Godfather Part Two. I have read the novel, and it is a great read. It's a 
Very good story. However, there is a subplot involving Sonny Corleone's giant dick that put me off a bit. Yeah, let us soak in for a bit. I love Sonny, but... <laughs> yeah. In this bit of story, and this is all in the book, like, prominently, the girl that Sonny um, has sex with at Connie and Carla's wedding at the beginning of the film, she's devastated when Sonny later dies because she's convinced that he's the only man big enough to fit inside her enormous canyon-like vagina. I'm 100% serious. This is all in the book for some reason. It never has any impact on the main story of The Godfather, but it's all there. And I... Comic relief, or... That's not even funny. It's no, it's not. It's but serious. Is it, do you think that's like a... It's like a play on that, or... No, because it's... it's You're supposed to read into that series. Like, she is devastated. Like, he was the only man who fit me. Like, it's... They were made for each other. Like, it's a whole thing. It's really weird. It's so bizarre. I'm... I'm very glad they I didn't, didn't know about that. that at all. Yeah, it's hinted at in the movie because you see a one woman like go like that with her hands while looking at Sonny. Yes, so yes. Obviously, you know Sonny's not. <laughs> he's got nothing to complain about. No, but it, <laughs> it doesn't really have anything to do with the story. But you know, I don't know. I'm not Mario Puzo. I didn't write a bestseller. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I digress. The book had four sequels. But only one, The Sicilian, was written by Puzo. And that was later made into a movie in the 80s that had all the Godfather references cut out and was made as its own feature. The others, The Godfather Returns and The Godfather's Revenge, were written by Mark Weingartner. And the last one, The Family Corleone, was written by Ed Falco based on an unpublished screenplay from Mario Puzo. So there's been a few novels, a lot of spin-offs, a lot of you know fan fiction kind of things. And film rights were snatched up by Paramount in 1967. Paramount's first choice to direct the film was legendary Italian Western filmmaker Sergio Leone, a future filmgasm topic for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Leone was the fa- like one of probably you know one of the founders of Italian spaghetti westerns. He created the Dollars trilogy, gave Clint Eastwood a career. Mm-hmm. He also made films like Once Upon a Time in the West. Yep, and is just a, a pioneer of the genre, an incredible filmmaker. Yeah, for sure. And he, and he was busy at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. He yeah. turned Paramount down so he could work on his own gangster epic, Once Upon a Time in America. Yes, really good. Which would not come out until 1984. Yeah, I really like that one. That's insane. A whole decade later, yeah. Yeah. That's when he finally got to make the, like, got to really <laughs> finish that product. It's crazy. Paramount then went to director Peter Bogdanovich, who turned them down because he wasn't interested in the mafia. Paramount, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine just, yeah. Great, oh, great yeah. career decision. Paramount then went to Peter Yates, Richard Brooks, Arthur Penn, Costa Gavras, and Otto Preminger, but they all said no for various reasons. Finally, they went to Francis Ford Coppola, who initially turned them down because he thought the novel was sleazy and cheap. Coppola eventually reversed his decision because he needed money. He was the 13th choice. (laughs) 13th choice, Francis Ford Coppola. And he only did it because he needed the money. He was, you know... Strap for cash. That's amazing. Yeah, he's young. Yeah, looking for work. Yeah. Cop- oh, yeah, man. Unbelievable. Coppola co-wrote the script with Mario Puzo, and Puzo was the one who suggested the casting of Oscar winner Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone. Brando, who is widely considered in many circles to be the greatest actor of all time, won his first Oscar for 1954's On the Waterfront. Classic. And later won his second Oscar for The Godfather. Classic. Though he, yeah, obviously. <laughs> though he did refuse the award. 
he sent a Native American actress named Sachin Littlefeather to accept... Unbelievable video. Yeah. Please look it up on YouTube. Really strange. Yeah. But not outside his realm of behavior. No, 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 no. And she said that Brando respectfully refused the award due to the poor treatment of American Indians in entertainment, as well as the recent incident at Wounded Knee. After several jeers were drowned out by applause, Littlefeather further stated that she hoped she had not intruded, and that, quote, our hearts and understandings will meet with love and generosity. And then she walked off the stage. It was a very strange moment. Incredible. And I think Brando's Oscar was later returned to the Academy. In addition, Brando was also nominated for his roles in 1951's A Streetcar Named Desire. Classic. 1952's Viva Zapata. Mm-hmm. 1953's Julius Caesar. Ooh. 1957's Sayonara. Man. 1972's Last Tango in Paris. And 1989's A Dry White Season. Jeez, dude. He died in 2004 of pulmonary fibrosis at the age of 80. And he was a very strange man who is for sure going to be a topic down the road. Marlon Brando. One of our one of the greatest actors to ever step in front of a camera, but one of the strangest human beings who ever walked the earth. <laughs> it'd be so fascinating if you were uh, like acting right now today. Oh my god. How he'd be received. Uh, he's so Not sh- well. You don't think so? <laughs> no. Or I think it might be like really well, like his performance, yes. His antics, hell no. No the, director would settle for that shit these days. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what would he think about like phones? You know, oh what's God. going on? What right would he now? think of like? I mean, well, he did appear in Superman, but That's that true. was a paycheck gig, straight up. Like, what would he think of you know the modern blockbuster? I feel like he would be against it, probably, or he would embrace it because it's quick cash. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Fascinating man. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. A film guy's on top of I can't wait. Later down the road. Finally, give me a reason to watch Streetcar Named Desire and On the Waterfront. Oh, On the Waterfront, man. <laughs> so good. Paramount didn't want Brando involved, as he had already gained a reputation for being difficult, <clears throat> and his recent films had tanked at the box office. Coppola considered Laurence Olivier as a second choice, but Olivier's agent declined. I can't claiming, see it. Yeah, claiming that Olivier was sick. However, he did appear in another film that same year. So, I don't know what, how sick what, what he was. What was it? I don't know. You I don't, don't remember? remember? No. Yeah, I don't think it was a big one, but it was a movie. Okay. So clearly okay. he wasn't sick. Okay. Uh, the studio was pushing for Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Can you believe that? That would have been horrible. <laughs> Unbelievable. As Vito Corleone, uh, others considered... That might have changed uh, Francis's uh, career completely. If... Yeah, this might have been a bomb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It might have failed completely. Absolutely. And... If Borgnine had turned it down, the others that were being considered were George C. Scott, which I totally could see. Yeah, yeah. Richard Conti, Anthony Quinn, hmm. and Orson Welles. Interesting. Orson Welles was kind of the pre-Brando. I think I think George C. Scott's my second pick, besides yeah. Brando, of course. Brando's yeah, I think one. George C. Scott can do anything. That would have been cool. Yeah, that would have been different. Would have been a lot less fatherly, a lot more like angry grandpa. Probably, yeah. And Brando did win the role. By stuffing cotton balls in his cheeks, darkening his hair with shoe polish, and rolling his collar during his screen test. And made himself look all, you know, like a bulldog. Paramount accepted Brando on the grounds that he'd lower his salary and sign an agreement that he would not cause any production delays. He had to sign a contract that said, I won't fuck up production. And the rest is history. Oh my gosh. Once they got Brando, they could get anybody. Yeah, exactly. He was the first first star, and then everybody else comes a-running. Oh, yeah. Coppola's first choice for Vito Corleone's consigliere, Tom Hagen, 
was Oscar winner Robert Duvall, who did get the part. Bang, bang. Duvall Perfect. won his only Oscar to date for 1983's Tender Mercies, but he's been nominated an additional six times for his roles in 1972's The Godfather, 1979's Apocalypse Now, 1979's The Great Santini, 1997's The Apostle, 1998's A Civil Action, and 2014's The Judge. Hmm. This is this is cool. To play the role of famed singer Johnny Fontaine, producer Albert S. Ruddy gave the part to Al Martino, a famed nightclub singer who heard about the part through a friend. However, Coppola fired him and replaced him with Italian singer Vic Damone. Damone later quit because the salary was too low, and he didn't want to play a character he believed was anti-Italian-American. Because a lot of Italian-Americans didn't want to be associated with the mob. Fair enough. Which I get. Amazingly, art imitates life in this case because Al Martino went to his own godfather, the mob boss Russ Buffalino, who pressured Paramount and Coppola to give Martino the role of Fontaine, which he eventually got. Man. This is all hearsay. What on earth? Yeah, yeah. what went into this movie, man, just to get this... <laughs> this is hearsay, but Martino claims this is true, which is incredible because that's exactly what his character, Johnny Fontaine, does to get the part yes. in the movie. Yes, exactly. Wow! Foreshadowing? Unbelievable. What are the fucking odds? Unbelievable, man. I did not know that. Talk about a role you were born to play. <laughs> um, Oscar winner Diane Keaton was cast as Kay Adams because oh, yeah. Coppola found her eccentric. Keaton won her only Oscar to date for her lead performance in 1977's Annie Hall. And she's been nominated four more times for her roles in 1981's Reds, 1996's Marvin's Room, and 2003's Something's Gotta Give. Oh, I love Something's Gotta Give. I guess that should have been three more times. My mistake. It's okay. And I love this. So, John Cazale. We gotta talk about John Cazale. He was cast as Fredo Corleone after Coppola saw him act in an off-Broadway play. John Cazale had a short-lived career, only appearing in five films, all of them Best Picture nominees or winners. The Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Deer Hunter. He died in 1978 of lung cancer at age 42, and his life and legacy are detailed spectacularly in the 2009 documentary, I Knew It Was You, Rediscovering John Cazale. And I have seen that documentary, and it's very touching. Uh, at the time, John Cazale and Meryl Streep were very much in love. Uh, yeah. She considers him her soulmate. She got really choked up talking about him. Uh, Gene Hackman appeared in the documentary, and he never does shit like this. No, no. John Cazale was a short-lived actor, but he was beloved by all of his co-stars. Man. He's known to be a humble man and a very decent man, and a fantastic fucking actor. Oh, yeah. Team player. Team Unbelievable. Player. Fredo. And it's so sad he didn't get to do more. Ah, devastating. Yes. What a decade. What yeah. a decade. Five films only, but five incredible, yeah, timeless films. With the, uh, oh, boy. Unbelievable. Near the start of filming, the crucial role of Michael Corleone had yet to be cast. Woo! Paramount wanted popular actors Warren Beatty or Robert Redford. Fuck no. While producer Robert Evans wanted Ryan O'Neill, who had just had recent success with the film Love Story. Coppola wanted an unknown actor who looked Italian-American, so he chose a young upstart named Al Pacino, <laughs> who the studio disagreed with due to his height. Coppola had to fight for Pacino's involvement, and the role nearly went to James Caan, who would instead play Santino Sonny Corleone. Pacino's career began with The Godfather, and it never stopped. He's only won a single Oscar for 1992's Scent of a Woman. I don't understand that. Yeah. It's a decent movie, but... 
fuck. He's got 20 yeah. others that are, yeah, better. Absolutely. Know. His incredible career speaks for itself. Yeah. He was also nominated for his roles in 1972's The Godfather. Yes. 1973's Serpico. That's my favorite man. Oh, God, I <laughs> love Serpico. Yeah. 1974's The Godfather Part Two. Yeah. 1975's Dog Day Afternoon. 1979's And Justice for All. 1990's Dick Tracy. And 1992's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. He was also a... Uh... Uh, Scarface, yeah, that's right. Yeah, some of his other notable <laughs> films include 1983's Scarface, 1995's Heat, unbelievable, 1997's Donnie Brasco, and he's set to star in both Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yes, and The Irishman, his first time working for Martin Scorsese, which is set for release later this year. First time working with both those guys, Tarantino and Scorsese. That's incredible yeah. that Pacino hasn't worked with either of those guys. Al Pacino is one of the most respected actors in the industry, he's despite the man. a few hiccups. But we, yeah, yeah, that comes with volume with mm-hmm. when you're in a lot. You know, Leo's had some hiccups, I think, and uh, De Niro's. You know, they've yeah. had movies where they're not as... That's because of sheer volume and but, I mean, this working is, a lot. This is Michael Corleone. This is Tony uh, Montana, you know? This is, yeah, yeah, man. Led, like, huge characters from the 70s and 80s. And the 90s. And, yeah, Heat, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now, yeah, he's going to keep going, it looks like. You know what I love him in is uh, Glenn Gary again with Glenn Ross. One of my fucking favorite That's movies. That's a great love role for him, too. Sleazy little oh. fucking real estate guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's great. He's just perfect. He he can do it. He can do it all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love him so much. Wonderful. Fantastic. And this this is not even... This isn't even my favorite role of his, uh, yeah. Corleone. I'm obsessed with Sarah Pico. I love <laughs> Tony Montana. I have, I've had a poster of Tony Montana in my room since I was, like, 13, you know? Good stuff. So good. Fantastic. Coppola filled other roles with family members, something he did quite often in his career. His sister, Oscar nominee Talia Shire, was cast as Connie Corleone. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing that, that it was like within the family. It felt so like the movie, yeah. keep it in the family, loyalty, you know, yeah. keep it within. The Coppolas are a dynasty. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, his daughter dude. Sophia Coppola became yeah. an accomplished director. His nephew, Nicolas Cage... Is an accomplished Jason actor. Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. The Coppola's dominate Hollywood to this day. Yeah, yeah. They keep going. Yeah. Nicky Cage needs to have him a few kids so that <laughs> we can start seeing some <laughs> little cages running around. Oh, my God. <laughs> As if we need more of that wacky human being. Uh, so, Talia Shire was nominated for her roles in 1974's The Godfather Part Two and 1976's Rocky, where she plays Rocky's girlfriend, Adrian. Connie and Adrian. You get yeah. to play those two Unbelievable. in town. Yeah. Actors Abe Vigoda, Richard Castellano, Al Lettieri, and Sterling Hayden were all cast later on once production had begun. Abe Vigoda plays uh, Corleone family advisor Sal Tessio. Okay, yeah, yeah. He also played the character of Fish in the TV show Barney Miller. Nice. You may know what? him as that. Wow, what a call. Yeah. <laughs> That's I know. Somewhere back in the brain. Wow. When I was watching this with my family. Every time he came on screen, my mom or my grandma would go, fish. <laughs> so that's there. Yeah. Uh, fish. Richard Castellano plays uh, Peter Clemenza, uh, Vito Corleone's oldest friend. Uh, he's Oscar nominated, but I don't remember the film he was nominated for. Mm. Uh, Al Lettieri plays... Uh, Virgil Salazzo, the Turk, the son of a bitch who starts this whole thing. Oh, seriously. And Sterling Hayden plays Captain McCluskey. Then the... again, I wanted this whole thing to start, so... Yeah. Yeah, never mind. Good job, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sterling Hayden is an accomplished director. He worked with Stanley Kubrick a lot. He was in The Killing. Yes, yeah, you see his name a lot on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was in Dr. Strangelove. He's the bodily fluids guy. 
And I fucking love Sterling Hayden. Hell yeah. He's an incredible actor. I love his... He commands the screen so great. So, that's all the major players. Let's take you through the story of The Godfather, which was released in 1972. It begins in 1945, just after the end of World War II, at the wedding of Connie Corleone and Carlo Rizzi. And Vito Corleone is holding court, so to speak, as no Sicilian can refuse a request on his daughter's wedding day. We meet all of our principal players, Michael, Sonny, Fredo, Kay, and Tom Hagen, as well as characters like Luca Brazzi, a hulking mm. enforcer who is seen practicing the words he plans to say to Don Corleone. And fun fact, the actor who plays Luca Brazzi, Lenny Montana, was actually practicing... He was actually practicing... Ugh, goddamn. It's all good. A lot of words here. A lot of words. <laughs> he was actually practicing his lines here because he was terrified of being in a scene with Marlon Brando. Coppola kept his preparation in the film, and later when Luca goes to meet Don Corleone and is super nervous, it feels even more genuine... That's amazing. That this giant guy is terrified of the true power in the room. It's so cool. He, he screws up his lines. He flubs. He's like, you know, which is what you just did. Which is what you just did. It was like Brando's right here. Man. That's right. I'm getting ugh. Vito showed up. I'm getting tongue tied. Oh jeez, that's crazy. <laughs> man. It's fantastic. Crazy stuff. Just so many genuine moments. Yeah. Ah, well, I wonder what it's like to be on set oh here for this madness. <laughs> uh, we meet Michael Corleone, who's a war hero. Who's dating Kay Adams, and he wants Diane to Keaton, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to introduce her to his family. He's young. He's Vito's youngest son. He wants no part in the family business. He's quiet. He's reserved. His father doesn't want him involved either, and he hopes he'll read a, he'll lead a strong life, unassociated with organized crime, be a senator, a governor, somebody important. So uh, somebody who pulls the strings, as Vito says later. We also meet Johnny Fontaine, a famous singer who's who is godson to Vito Corleone. And wants his help in muscling a movie producer who won't give Fontaine a part in his new film that he'd be perfect for and could revitalize his career. And this subplot is heavily based on Frank Sinatra and the myth behind how he got the role of Angelo Maggio in 1953's From Here to Eternity, which landed him an Oscar. Mm-hmm. More on that in a later podcast, as it's not entirely proven yet and it's still a rumor, but... Okay. That's amazing. Frank Sinatra was... Most likely tied to the mob. That's not really a secret anymore. No, no. That's that's common knowledge. Is just yeah, yeah, surface level stuff with him. And his career was dwindling. Don't know exactly how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until he managed to get the role in From Here to Eternity, which landed him an Oscar and started him on a film career. So, kind of interesting. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Yeah. And with Johnny Fontaine, we get a great scene with Vito Corleone when Fontaine goes to the Godfather and says, like, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm so, I don't know what to do. And Vito grabs him and says, you can act like a man! And it's <laughs> yeah, such a great yeah. part. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can act like a man? Oh, so powerful. Uh. <laughs> I love it. Oh. So to resolve this... <laughs> so good. <laughs> I'm, yeah. just, I, oh I'm getting caught up in my head <laughs> thinking about the movie now. <laughs> Tom Hagen, Vito's consigliere and lawyer, kind of his adopted son, goes to Hollywood to attempt to reason with Jack Waltz, the film producer, but Waltz is a racist, an asshole, and he despises Johnny Fontaine. So, since he won't be reasonable, Hagen and his people chop the head off of Waltz's $600,000 prize racehorse and stuff it in bed with him in one of the most horrifying scenes in the film. Wakes up, like, with the blood. Yeah. If you haven't seen God, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but that's, that's great when the blood's on him and... At first, he's like, am I hurt? Yeah. I love his reaction, and he's like, no, I'm like, my body is fine. Yeah. What the hell is... <laughs> <laughs> I 
fucking scary, dude. And of course, this makes Walter reconsider, <laughs> as Vito had given him an offer he couldn't refuse. And really freaky fact, that horse head was real. Oh my gosh, it looks real. It is a real horse's it head, and they real. did not tell the actor they were going to use a real one. They got it as refuse from a glue factory that was nearby. What the fuck? You could not do that now. Oh, Jesus Christ. Ugh. I don't know if the blood was real, but the head was real. Ugh. Offrey cannot refuse. <laughs> Vito likes to say that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the most famous lines from the film. Yeah. A lot of famous lines came out of this franchise. Oh, for sure. Taglines, yeah, all yeah. kinds of stuff. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. There's t-shirts, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the stuff that this, like, culturally is created is it's timeless. Yeah. So, Vito later sits down with a drug baron named Virgil the Turk Salazzo, who wants police and political protection for his heroin business, and only Vito Corleone can provide that for him. Vito wants nothing to do with drugs, and he politely says no to Salazzo. Salazzo responds by sending a hit squad after Vito and shooting him in the street. They fail to kill him, and Salazzo starts a gang war between the Corleones and the Tatalias, who are backing Salazzo. With Vito in the hospital, his oldest son Santino, or Sonny, becomes the new Don and goes to war. Michael goes to visit his father in the hospital and stops another assassination attempt by a corrupt police captain named McCluskey. Fucker, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> McCluskey, little piece yeah. of shit. And Salazzo went after Vito because Sonny uh, perked up in the meeting and had some interest. Mm-hmm. And that little bit of interest... Create starts this whole goddamn franchise. Yeah, yeah. If Vito had not got gunned down, Michael never would have had to get involved. He never would have become head of the family, and all that shit never would have happened. Nothing. It's incredible. Nothing happens. Yeah. This movie's very much a you know pebble that starts the avalanche kind of thing. Oh, a huge avalanche! Yeah, three movie avalanche. Yeah. Oh yeah, so much death, <laughs> and the cop uh, punches Michael. Almost tries to have him arrested, but. Uh, Tom Hagen shows up and gets Michael out of, out of trouble. But this is the tipping point for Michael. Robert Duvall is just oh, yeah. so smooth. He gets overlooked a lot in this franchise. There, yeah, he, so really many does. he really does. And probably because he's not... His name's Hagen. He's not Corleone. He's not Vito. Sicilian. Yeah, I'm not Michael Corleone. Yeah, he's and not they, point, hit, they point that out to him a lot in the film. Like Sonny yeah. especially says, you know, you're, you know, he's not your father. No, I yeah. need a wartime consigliere. What can you do for me? Like, yes, they say that a lot. So a lot they of say, they say, Michael said, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, straight stuff, up yeah. to his face. You're out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, wartime ready. <laughs> and uh, this is which, where... Yeah. Which is funny, because you think Robert Duvall, the way he is, would be wartime ready. Would oh, be yeah. Like, Let's fucking get him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he's like kind of, yeah, a little more you know, subdued here. And yeah. A little bit smarter. He's great. He's great. Definitely my favorite role of his of all time. Like, hands down. Yeah. For Duvall. Yeah, for sure. Me too. So Michael has to make a decision here. He knows his father won't be safe while Salazzo and McCluskey are still alive. And they want to meet with Michael because they know he's not a gangster and he won't try anything. Mm -hmm. So Michael makes a decision to kill them both for the good of the family, dragging him into the business for good. Michael kills Salazzo and McCluskey with a planted gun at the restaurant they were meeting at and flees to Sicily to wait out the storm. In Sicily, Michael falls in love with and marries an Italian woman named Apollonia, who is murdered when she accidentally sets off a car bomb meant for Michael. It's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. They're, they get married, and then you're not, you don't get to know her very well. He's there for about a year. Yeah. Completely forgets about Diane Keaton. Yeah. But then as soon as he gets back to the States, he marries her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael doesn't uh, Yeah, doesn't really wait around a whole yeah. lot. Kind of moves quickly. But in the States, 
the Corleones and the Tatalias are still at war, and a police captain's been killed, so, you know, a lot of people are paying attention now. And during all this time, uh, Michael and Sonny's sister, Connie, is being badly beaten and abused by her husband, Carlo. Carlo is a dickhead. Carlo is such a son of a bitch. And she's pregnant, too. uh, Yeah, Carlo's like that guy who would marry into, like, a big, powerful, rich family and just be this sleazebag. One time she pulls a knife on him and he says, go ahead, kill me. Be a killer like your father. You're all killers. Yeah. Fuck. Who has the balls to say that? Oh. I'm finally going to say, yeah, you guys are... Yeah. (laughs) You guys are all killers. Yeah. And once Sonny finds out about this... He goes after Carlo. He's gonna he's gonna kill him this time. Yes, he's warned him several times, but this is the last straw. And on his way to kill Carlo, Sonny is gunned down by men belonging to Philip Tatalia under Carlo's direction. Fucking gunned down, man! Like brutally, Shot a lot, a lot of times. Oh my god! And he gets out of the car. Ah, yeah. Bah, 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 bah. It's pretty going. hardcore for the 70s. Fall, yeah, then falls down and gets shot again yeah. a few more times. This was yeah. not business. This was fucking personal. Yeah, it was. It became, yeah. Their business became personal oh, yeah. between these families. Mm-hmm. And Shit. That is a classic yeah. ambush scene, though. When oh, he, my God. He comes up to that little gate thing, and you can he can kind of sense, oh, fuck. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. He's stuck. <laughs> uh, that is, oh. That's classic mob shit, though, man. <laughs> ambush. And with Sonny's death, Vito is devastated. And once he's healed up, he calls a meeting of the five families. And they discuss the war, with Vito agreeing to provide political protection for the heroin business in exchange for a truce. And during this meeting, he learns that Emilio Barzini, head of the Barzini family, is the true power behind the Tatalias and the war. And he does not forget that. Now safe, Michael returns to New York and marries Kay Adams. They have two children, and after his father retires... Michael Corleone assumes the reins of the family and becomes the new Don Corleone, with his father as his consigliere, because Tom Hagen is not a wartime consigliere, as they constantly point out to him, and he just kind of sits on the sidelines. When Vito later dies of a heart attack, Michael takes the opportunity to learn who his true enemies are, and in one of the most incredible scenes of the film, has them all killed in one fatal swoop during his nephew's baptism. Yep. He kills the heads of the five families, as well as Las Vegas gangster Mo Green, who had a hold over Michael's brother Fredo. Mo Green. Mo Green. <laughs> it's fucking glasses, man. You don't uh, buy me out. I buy you out. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what does he say to him? Like, he uses one of those phrases about him being young, and he was like, says something really, It's hilarious. I can't remember. But he says something to Michael because he's so young. And yeah. Something along the lines of, you know, that I was... I was, you know, doing this while you were in your fucking diapers. You know, it's something really Mo Greeny, though. You know, yeah. where you're like, what the? Who says that? Uh, he's a wild character. Oh yeah, that's a great scene, though, man. What, like, it's constructed so beautifully. You got Fredo standing behind Mo Green like a beaten child, mm-hmm. and Michael takes Fredo aside and says, "Never take sides against the family again." And that advice will haunt him for yes, yeah. Oh lord, yeah. <laughs> Yikes! And during this fell swoop, Michael kills Carlo. Connie's husband after it was learning time. he was responsible for Sonny's death it was time and now Michael is the new godfather and dun, 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 dun. in a great scene Kay wants to know did Michael really have Carlo killed and Michael says never ask me about my business twice and then he like you know, beats the, the desk like I'm fucking warning you and he's like alright one time this one time you can ask me she's like is it true and he says no with a straight face lies right to her face and she's like, oh, thank God. But then, as she's leaving the room, 
you know, court is held, and people come to meet the new Don Corleone, and the door is closed. The in door her face. closes so good. Yeah. Oh, such a great way to end this. Yeah, so good. Oh, and that's the first film. It's incredible. It, Packed. Unbelievable. One of the greatest films ever made. It Packed, it. man. It doesn't yeah. stop. You can't look away you during can't. this movie. It's hypnotizing. Fucking love the first one, man. Uh. It has an IMDb score of 9.2 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 98%. 10. I 10 give it a solid me. 10. Yeah, Absolutely. 10 yeah. Unbelievable. Do you, you have a review of this movie on? I do. Orgasm? I've reviewed all three I, pr- I should probably just make them, yeah, just for yeah. the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won three Oscars. Best Picture. Best Actor for Marlon Brando and Best Adapted Screenplay. It was nominated for eight additional Oscars, Best Supporting Actor for James Caan, Best Supporting Actor for Robert Duvall, Best Supporting Actor for Al Pacino. Three of five spots. <laughs> and Pacino did not attend the ceremony out of protest because he thought he should have been nominated for Best Actor. Yes, I, I agree. Due I to agree. having more screen time than Marlon Brando, and mm-hmm. I disagree. You disagree? I disagree. I'm a big I'm a big runtime guy. So. See, I think I go by the value of the character, and for me... I this, still think Michael... This is Michael's ascension, but not his tale. I think they're both should be up for best actor. Mm. Brando and Pacino. I think they're both the main character, essentially. Mm, I don't know. I also think that De Niro and Pacino should both be up for part two. I disagree with that. I think De Niro definitely should be supporting while Pacino think, is actor. I think both can be... <laughs> I have no problem... Just like I have no problem with multiple people being up, you know, Duvall and for uh, supporting. Yeah. So... But typically, really, for most cases, there's really only one lead. Yeah. There's one very few technical, instances. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in addition to that, it was nominated for Best Director for Coppola, Best Costume Design, Best Sound Mixing, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score for Nino Rota, though oh, yeah. that nomination was later rescinded after it was learned that he had recycled an old score for use in the movie. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Fun Plagiarism, fact. essentially, yeah. Of himself. Yeah. Really, really weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Oscars has... Very interesting bylaws. Oh, they just kind of pick and choose as they yeah. fucking go. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Uh, fun fact, Marlon Brando would later play a tongue-in-cheek caricature of Vito Corleone in the 1990 crime comedy The Freshman, co-starring Matthew Broderick. In it, Brando plays Carmine Sabatini, a mobster who bears a striking resemblance to Vito Corleone. The makeup is nearly identical. It has an IMDb score of 6.5, a surprisingly high Rotten Tomatoes score of 93%, and I'm planning on checking it out for an upcoming rewind. I'm sure it'll be an interesting watch. I've seen it, yeah. I'd give it like a 7 or 8. Yeah, I, 93 is shocking. I didn't know that. <laughs> Certified fresh, too. <laughs> to be honest, that's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of wild to me. Yeah, pretty crazy. Cool movie, but yeah, I don't know. Well, it's been, I've had it on my shelf for the longest time. I'd like to watch it. Go finally. for it. Add it to the rewind, too. Yeah. yeah, why not? So, The Godfather Part 2 was released in 1974 and picks up three years after the end of the first film with Michael Corleone attempting to expand his family's influence into Cuba, while a young Vito Corleone begins his life in America in the 1920s and grows his criminal empire in New York City. All of this story makes the film a weighty 3 hours and 22 minutes, but it's still an incredible follow-up. In fact, Paramount didn't want to do it first because they didn't think audiences would care about a continuation of a story they'd already seen. There used to be a time when movie studios didn't believe in sequels. Now, that's all we fucking have. <laughs> in fact, this film's success led to the popularization of numbered sequels. You know, part two. And that's kind of cool. Too Fast, Too Furious. That's the first one you... <laughs> I just wanted to oh say that. God. That'd be stupid. <laughs> stupid! <laughs> like like uh, Sonny, when he... T- 
Oh, yeah. Like, when he's telling about school in part two, and he's like, oh, you know, he's like, I'm going to go to the military. Stupid. <laughs> Just, <laughs> so good. Uh, so, part two features returning stars Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, John Cazale, Robert Duvall, and Talia Shire, as well as a host of solid newcomers. James Caan appears in a flashback sequence, demanding the same salary he received for the first film. Amazing. I, whatever. Yeah. Go. I, I understand. Yeah. I would probably do the same thing. They tried to get Marlon Brando, but he backed out at the last minute. I'm kind of glad he didn't appear at all after the first... Once he's dead, he's dead. Yeah, I agree. Would have been distracting. It would have been... Yeah, it would have. would have changed the movie, I one, think. Yeah, one of the most notable newcomers was a young Robert De Niro, who portrays the young Vito Corleone in the flashback sequences. This is De Niro, 1974. This, this is, is one of his first films. Pre-Taxi Driver, pre-all the yeah. Scorsese madness. And yeah. it won him his first Oscar. Ah. Uh. De Niro is so fucking good in this movie. I don't understand. Watching him this young is, a, it's a, like a privilege. Like, honestly, I, I would pay money if I had to to watch every single time. When he's young, he's just, I think he's so damn good, so talented. I love love him in part two. And I think um, for them to find two talents like Brando and De Niro to play the same character. Oh is, my God. And they both is, won Oscars It's for never it. happening again. Yeah. It's not happening again. You could argue that those are the two greatest actors to ever live, that those two guys are on the pedestal and they play the same fucking guy. And and you buy it too. Like, you I really totally do. believe that. There's De Niro... never a time you're like, that's a stretch. It's like, oh, this yeah. actually looks kind of legit. They're, they're, they're framed, the build of both of them. You the way believe. De Niro holds himself. Like it, yeah. yeah it, and you it. can feel, yeah, you can just feel it that both of them are uber, uber talented and can kind of get out of their own skin. And, oh, wow, what a, what a treat to go back and watch these and <laughs> Truly. see guys like that work, you know. De Niro won his first Oscar for this film. He would later win his second Oscar for 1980's Raging Bull. Classic. And he's been nominated five additional times for 1976's Taxi Driver, mm. 1978's The Deer Hunter, oh. 1990's Awakenings, Whew. 1991's Cape Fear, Jesus Christ, and 2012's Silver Linings Playbook. Man, oh man! And so <laughs> many, so many in between. This, uh, he's so good. De Niro is considered one of the greatest to ever step in front of a camera, and I 100. Yeah, I'm a fan. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Other newcomers include legendary acting coach Lee Strasberg as Jewish gangster Hyman Roth. Strasberg is considered the father of method acting, and some of his most notable students include Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Marilyn Monroe, Eli Wallach, Anne Bancroft, James Dean, Montgomery Clift, Dustin Hoffman, Jane Fonda, Paul Newman, Ellen Burstyn, Geraldine Page, and Martin Landau. That's just a few. Holy shit. Murderer's row of oh my God. performers there. He received only one Oscar nomination in his career, and it was for his role as Hyman Roth in The Godfather Part Two. He died in 1982 of a heart attack at the age of 80. In her will, Marilyn Monroe left Lee Strasberg control of 75% of her entire estate, including the licensing of her image. Today, the Strasberg family earns millions of dollars annually from licensing fees on just Marilyn Monroe's image. Oh. He was apparently one of the only people in her life who didn't treat her like shit. Wow. God bless. Yeah. God bless. Absolutely. Michael V. Gazzo plays betrayed mobster Frank Pantangeli, who later attempts to testify against Michael Corleone in court. Gazzo was a playwright and a soldier who got the part of Frank Pantangeli after Richard Castellano refused to return to play Peter Clemenza. Gazzo was nominated for an Oscar for his performance. He died in 1995 of a stroke at age 71. What do you think of Frank Pantangeli? 
scumbag. Really? A little, little bit. I, uh, I, don't know. I guess everybody is kind of. Yeah, this is a <laughs> never yeah, mind. There's no good people. Never mind. That's picture. a bad <laughs> word to use. Um, oh, that's good. It, one of the ones that make me, one of the characters that make me think um, each time I rewatch it, I guess. Mm-hmm. One of the ones that I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. The involvement, I guess, surprises you. Yeah. Um, what's your opinion? Do you have like a word you'd use to describe or um, something that comes to mind? Lost. Lost. Okay, yeah, okay. Confu- lost. <laughs> I think that Frank Pantangeli is a relic of the old era, and okay. he hasn't quite accepted that Michael is the new law in town. Yeah. He's still holding course, on yeah, to... For sure, for He's sure. still holding on to Vito Corleone's values, and mm-hmm. his values are very different from Michael's values. Much, yeah, much different. Yeah. Much different pace. Frank yeah. still believes in honor among thieves, and that everybody should get theirs, but, you know, to Michael, every business is everything, and it doesn't matter who's in bed with who as long as everything works. Mm-hmm. And Frank doesn't see it that way. Yeah. And you just kind of feel bad for the guy throughout. Yeah, I guess... Retire? Quit? Get out of there? Like You, you can't do you, that. I mean, life. I know you, I know <laughs> yeah. you can't, but... I, I guess that's his, his... Yeah, I guess Lost is the only way. He was stuck, I guess, yeah. is what he is, you know. Mm. <laughs> more on Frank later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, we'll get to we'll get to more here later down there. Yeah. The Godfather Part Two begins in 1958 at Michael's son's Anthony's First Communion. Mm-hmm. Michael meets with Frank Pantangeli, who wants Michael to help him take out the Rosado brothers who are moving in on Frank's territory. However, the Rosados are in league with Hyman Roth, who is business partners with Michael. So it's iffy. Yeah. Michael refuses and later that night survives an assassination attempt Classic. at his home. And oh yeah. Oh. Crazy scene. Yeah. Also, in nineteen oh one, young nine year old Vito Andolini survives the murder of his entire family at the hands of John of Don Ciccio in the town of Corleone, Sicily. He escapes to New York and is registered as Vito Corleone at Ellis Island. This Welcome movie to has, America. Oh yeah. Back and forth of Michael's current story and Vito's story coming up in the world. And it's a great juxtaposition. So you're going back and forth between Pacino yeah. and De Niro, just Well, you get to see it up. Michael's fall and Vito's rise happen at the same time. And it's amazing. Yeah. It works so well. It shouldn't work, but it does work. It never feels jarring when they jump. It makes no, sense. Not at all. The transitioning is really good. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's because it is an older movie because it's from the 70s where the transitioning might... It might have just been simpler at that time to where now, I just feel like you don't you don't see movies the pace of it or the the construction of it move as smoothly as a Godfather type movie. Maybe that just has to do with how good of a script it was, how good of a story it is, how good you know Francis Ford Coppola was at the time. I don't know. I I just feel like I don't see that sort of simplistic, not wasting any time, transitioning without being flashy, without being annoying or and it, it makes sense the whole time i don't know i i just feel like that's really rare these days and i think during the early 70s we saw a lot of that with movies you know like chinatown french connection they just move really well yeah very very they're just kind of like a train just keeps moving keeps you know keeps on well i think the part of it is that these were the films that would influence what we have today Today yeah, is, it's, it has to do with time, yeah. I think. And Today era, is all, yeah. it's replicating a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Back then, they were building the foundation new, yeah. of what these, of what film, like, of these, you know, ideas. Like, the mob film really became popularized with The Godfather. By The Godfather, yeah. So, I don't know. I think, really, it depends. It's just, you hear you hear stuff like, oh, they don't make them like they used to. And I'm like, they, they really, don't. They really don't. They this, really don't. I really think, you know, we'll get to later on in the episode about the 70s, but my God, just, it's a different breed of movies. 
than we than we see today. So, absolutely. So, Michael suspects that Hyman Roth is behind the assassination attempt, but he feigns ignorance until he's sure. And in 1917, Vito Corleone lives in New York with his wife Carmela and his son Santino. He loses his job after a gangster named Don Fanucci gives it to his nephew. He meets Peter Clemenza, who invites him to unknowingly commit a burglary. And in the current story, in New York, Frank Pantangeli makes a fake peace with the Rosados, but is nearly killed by them. Frank is told that Michael Corleone gave the order. Michael travels to Havana, Cuba, to meet with Hyman Roth and other associates as they discuss how to carve up Cuba under the government of Fulgencio Batista, right on the eve of the Cuban Revolution. And while they're discussing how to carve up Cuba, they're carving up his birthday cake, which I think yes, is just a beautiful... It's a fun little... Oh, yeah. It's yeah. great. And he, Hyman Roth even says, like, I want everybody to have their peace. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so it's a little good. on the nose, but I love it. Yeah, I, I no, I, I really appreciate stuff like that. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not put it in there if you can? So, <laughs> And Michael, of course, becomes reluctant after learning of the ongoing Cuban revolution led by communist Fidel Castro. On New Year's Eve, Michael attempts to have Roth and his right-hand man Johnny Ola killed. He gets Ola, but Roth survives when his killer is discovered and shot by the police. That night, Michael learns that his brother Fredo betrayed him and was inadvertently responsible for the assassination attempt. In a famous scene, Michael kisses his brother and tells him, I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. That's one of the that's one of the, the things you'll see, like, you know, uh, if you see, like, clips or highlights of these movies. That's one of them, because the way it's filmed is so interesting and so cool. Kind of far away, and you feel like you're in the room, too. You feel like you're getting a drink, kind of, and you're watching, like, what's going on over there? Yeah. And you just see Pacino grab his face, you know, like, Cherish it! <laughs> and it's a really, really cool scene. Really, um... Everything's coming to, like, this head. And, yeah, you can feel Pacino just kind of... You can feel Michael, sorry, kind of losing it. Because he's like, oh, my my own... You know, this is my brother. You know? Yeah. Oh. This is... And, and, you know, we find we find out later that Frito was the guy who supported his decisions younger when he yeah. was younger. So, really tough. Really tough scene. And Fredo did it because he's always felt like he's on the sidelines. He's always been... Undercut by his whole family. Yeah, I'm the guy who does this, goes to take, yeah. he drives people to places, and does little errands. Yeah, I'm, little, I'm your older brother, and I was passed boy. over. Yeah, it's yeah. a great oh. scene. Yeah, oh. he does, man. This oh, that guy, rest John Cazale, so good. Uh, so the rebel soldiers of Cuba advance and start to take over the city, leading Michael, Fredo, and Roth to flee separately back to the United States. Upon returning home, Michael learns that his pregnant wife Kay has miscarried. Hmm. By 1920, Vito has two more children, Fredo and Michael. Vito is blackmailed by Don Fanucci. Vito's business partners, Clemenza and Salvatore Tessio, are worried, but Vito insists he can make Fanucci take a smaller percentage by making an offer he won't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Vito shoots Fanucci dead during a parade. Yeah, well, he... Okay, so he... Uh, what, correct me if I'm wrong. He, they owe him, what, like $200 or something? Yeah. And he's like, I'll give him, what, 50 is, yeah. what, is what De Niro, uh, v, uh, Vito is saying. Finucci's like, you got balls. Yeah, they're like having, you know, having a drink. I'll give whatever. you some work. He has like an espresso, and he's in all white, Finucci. <laughs> that is the best, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and then the kill. Break down the kill for everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, Vito's stalking Finucci during this Italian parade where this music is playing, and it's, oh, it's such a death omen. It's so great. And Finucci's walking around like he owns the fucking joint because he does. And saying what's up to people. Yeah. Yeah. He puts a dollar on the like the prayer tree or yeah, something. Like yeah, he's yeah. some saint. And he goes to this hotel and Vito follows him in there. And Vito has a 
silence or a gun wrapped in a towel for silence. And Vito uh, screws out a light bulb slightly to get Finucci distracted. It works, and Finucci turns when he hears something behind him, and Vito shoots him in the heart. So good. That towel bursts into flames. It's great. Yeah. And then he walks up to <laughs> Finucci, puts the gun in his mouth, fires again. Oh, before that, he shot him in the face. So he wanted to get the job done. Took that $50 back. <laughs> yeah. And then ditched the gun in three different fireplaces. Unbelievable. <laughs> so great. Vito's first blood. Yeah. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Welcome to crime. <laughs> uh, back in the modern day, Michael is being investigated by a Senate subcommittee on organized crime, but they have no evidence. However, the revealed-to-be-alive Frank Pantangeli agrees to testify after believing Michael betrayed him. Michael meets with Fredo, who tells him why he betrayed him. Fredo resented Michael being made the head of the family since Fredo was his older brother. And you, you get it. You kind of get where he's coming from. But at the same time, the Corleone family would have died under Fredo's control. Oh, He did not have the strength to lead this family. Hell no. no and way. everybody knew that. Not the discipline, not the strength. Yeah, no. No, no he's, too, he's a sweetheart. He's too, yeah. He wouldn't hurt a fly. No, Mo Green. He was Mo Green's bitch. There's no way in hell. Oh, fucking Mo Green. Oh. And there's a great scene where... Michael's in kind of semi-interrogating Hyman Roth over where whether or not he was behind. Uh, he wanted what was it? he wanted somebody killed. Oh, uh, fuck, 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 fuck! Well, anyway, Roth brings up the he brings up the <laughs> thought that I knew a guy who was a good friend of mine. He built Las Vegas into nothing, like from nothing. His name was Mo Green, and when he died, I wasn't angry. I just accepted it because that's the life we choose. Oh. It's a very much a not so veiled threat of "Don't push me, Michael Corleone." <laughs> it's cracked up. It's the life we choose. Mm-hmm. Mm, man, yeah, it's a it's a life where you have to accept that your friends are going to get killed because it's business. It's what happens. Yeah, it's no. Yeah, and you. Yeah, you can't. Uh, it's so crazy to put yourself. You know, you said earlier, you you can't get out. You can't leave. You can't. No. You can't quit. You can't retire. This is it. You die. Yeah. And uh, you die with it. Yeah. yeah, Fredo says he helped Roth because Roth promised him something. He had no idea Michael was going to be attacked, and Michael responds by disowning Fredo and tells him that nothing will happen to him while their mother is alive. Oh man! Michael brings in Frank Pantangeli's brother from Sicily to intimidate him into backing down, which Frank does. The hearing dissolves. Man, uh, such a heartbreaking scene. Because you. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Do you want to see Michael Corleone go to prison, or do you want to see him get away with this? Uh, mm, shit. I'm kind of divided. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> those scenes are really good, too. Those are a, a really cool part of the movie while you're in court. It yeah. feel, feels like a documentary. Where Michael's saying, like, you know, I resent being called a gangster. Yeah, yeah. Saying, yeah I love this city. Yeah. You smug bastard. Yeah. I'm a war hero. I serve my country. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, I guess I'm fine either way. I'm, I'm neutral. If I had to choose, I, I want him to keep going. Uh, cause, just because. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm selfish. <laughs> and I like the Corleone family. Yeah. Oh, we I want all, them yeah. to keep. I want them to keep moving. So, Kay wants to leave Michael as she no longer loves him and she fears for her life and the lives of her children. She tells Michael that the miscarriage was actually an abortion. Oh, boy. Because she did not want to have another one of his children. Yeah, she she tells him straight up, I don't yeah. want to ever bring one of you, yeah. another one of you, into this world. And Michael goes bah! ballistic. Hits the shit out of yeah, her. Yeah, beats her to the ground hard and banishes her from the family, taking custody of the children. It's such a heartbreaking scene when he just closes the door terrible, on her. Terrible, terrible. Oh, oh, my God. 
1923... A lot of doors closed on Diane yeah. Keaton. Oh, my... Yeah. Sorry. That Sorry. parallels that scene. Oh, yeah. I didn't even fucking notice yeah. that. Way to I, go. Oh, I watched him... I, I watched these last night back to back. <laughs> back to back. Like, I was doing it... I was, like, in the first one right now, as we speak, like, 24 hours ago. <laughs> I watched him back to back, and I woke up this past morning and watched the third one, so... It's all... It, it kind of is running together, so sometimes I'm like, oh, wait, where did that happen? But, yeah, I, I noticed that when I was watching. I was like, oh, man, the fucking door. Like, Kay, the, I feel so bad for Kay. In the 80s, they released a miniseries where they combined Godfather 1 and 2 and I made them a be. linear story. It started with young Vito Corleone, oh, see, then went great. into The Godfather, and then The Godfather Part 2. Yeah, that's great. I've never seen that cut. Together. I would love to see in theaters yeah. a big, bah, a big six-hour bonanza. Just I did that. What a few like my they like, played them like back to like right when I moved here they were doing a Godfather ba- double feature for Father's Day and I took my grandpa oh, and geez. we watched Godfather one and two back to back and it was unbelievable I bet it was incredible how much time was in between like what we had about a fifteen minute intermission a little intermission yeah. go get food if you wanted grab some to drink but we were all just so tired oh I but bet it was great it was le- legitimately they it's had over a cannoli six hours. special and everything oh, it was that's so good great. Oh. that's great. So in 1923... Cigars, if you... Yeah. <laughs> Vito Corleone returns to Corleone, Sicily, and murders the now old and decrepit Don Ciccio, who killed his parents and his brother. Finally uh, settling business. Because that's what the Corleones do best. Revenge. They settle business. In the modern story, Michael's mother dies. At the funeral, Michael appears to forgive Fredo. But just like the end of the first ah, film, yeah. Michael to... settles all business. He has Hyman Roth killed at the airport in Miami. He has Tom Hagen convince Frank Pantangeli that by killing himself, his family won't be harmed. Who is Hyman killed by? Rocco? Or what's his name? I don't remember, but he gets gunned down by the cops. Yeah, well, he said, well Michael has initially sent someone on camera. That's a, yeah, I don't know. It's the last secondary character. Yeah, I'm going to get lost in the... <laughs> lost in the shuffle. Frank later slits his wrist and bleeds out, yeah. believing his family will be okay if he dies. Yeah, yeah. And while fishing, Michael has Fredo killed with a single assassin's bullet to the head. And it's... Because yeah. he's taking... Initially has Anthony with him, right? Yeah. And they're fishing, and then he's like, Anthony, you're going to Reno with your... Yeah, okay, that's right. And he goes fishing with Al Neri, oh. uh, Michael's bodyguard. Yeah. And, Michael, and Al Neri shoots him in the back of the head. One shot, and then the camera pans out, and Fredo's not in the boat anymore. Sam! Like from Holes. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> I stole that. Wow. Shit. Holes stole that. Deep huh? deep cut. I like that. Yeah, uh, I watched that last week. It's a great movie. Holes? Yeah. I, I fucking I love, love Holes. holes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> film guys on Holes. Very few films deal with like deal so greatly with fate like Holes does. The, the fucking Yelnats family. Oh, man. it's wonderful. Yeah, no, I really enjoy Holes just as a <laughs> like a camaraderie movie too. Oh yeah. A male camaraderie. It's all in Texas too. That's great. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Camp Green Lake. Fucking oh. <laughs> John, uh, John Voight. Mr. Sir. Oh, what a bastard. His real name is like Marion or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that was a, that was a woman's name. <laughs> Oh, uh, shit. Why are we talking? Yeah. I'm sorry. Back to the... Yeah. <laughs> so, at the film's end, we get a flashback scene of the Corleone family at their father's birthday, right yeah, before yeah. Michael went off to war. And when he tells... This is yeah. fucking brilliant storytelling here, is it wrapping all this back and, you know... Because mm, yeah. like, this really is a story about the Corleone children. Mostly Michael, but this is also Fredo's story and Connie Sonny's and story. Connie and Sonny, yeah, yeah. And where they all went. And it's cool to see them all together again for one last time before... You know, Vito's death 
turn them into who they would become. And when Michael tells them all that he joined the military, Sonny is enraged, Tom is confused, and Fredo is the only one who supports Fredo him. Fredo tries to shake his hand, yeah. and Sonny's like, no, like, don't congratulate him. <laughs> it's really sad. I mean, Vito arrives off screen, because they couldn't get Marlon Brando. Brilliant, and, though. Yeah. Brilliant, because you don't want to... I don't want to see... <laughs> um, De Niro and Pacino on the screen at the same time. Yeah. That's part of the 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 the, the shine and the, the the brilliance of this movie of the second part yeah. is that these two guys are living separately in separate worlds, really in different you know era, different decades. And if we saw them pass, you know, because you'd see a little bit younger Vito, he'd be what at that time, nineteen forty five. He'd you know. 60s. Well, because uh, Michael would be like 21, 22. So yeah. yeah, you know he'd be yeah 50, 60 somewhere in there. It'd be it'd be weird. It'd be weird for me seeing them like coming passing. I, I kind of like that they're separate the whole second mm-hmm. movie. And you know I'll let you finish what happens at the yeah. end. Everyone goes to meet him except Michael, who just sits at the table and wonders if he made the right choice. Yeah. And that's a decision. That's a thought he would have his whole life. Did he make the right choice? Mm-hmm. And he's thinking the same thing when he's sitting alone at the lake, wondering if he just. You know, thinking I just killed my brother. Yeah, did I have to do? Is that? this really? Is this really all worth it? Yeah. Is this who I am? Yeah, it's. You can tell all of that. There's no dialogue. It's just in his eyes. Oh, it's man. beautiful, and that's how part two ends. And whew, it's so a, cool. It's a long one, but by God, is it fantastic! It has an IMDb score of nine point oh, a Rotten Tomatoes score of ninety seven percent, and I give it an eight. I really enjoy it. An eight. It is. It's too goddamn long. I love it, but wow. I can't do it. Holy shit. I can't I, do I, it more than once a year. I, I, I think I give it a 10 as well. Yeah. Holy shit, I didn't know. I know. I knew you were going to, yeah. I wanted to say I, For a second, I thought you were kidding. <laughs> An 8. All right. So why is it not a 9, at least? Because I can see why you'd say, okay, it's not as good as the first one to me. The performances are fantastic. I love it. But this one feels drawn out to you a little more? bit. Like okay. I think the whole that's fair. The Frank Pantangeli. It is like thirty the, minutes longer. The Hyman Roth and the Rosado thing is really it's hard to follow at times. You really got to be. Well, yeah, I got I got lost in a couple characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I just fucking. De Niro, I do love man. it. I do love it. Watching De Niro's the yeah is like it's like a privilege. It's like this weird privilege because you already know who Vito is with Brando, and you get this little look into, and it's fucking De Niro playing him. And obviously, at the time, you wouldn't know because De Niro's this young, young gun who hasn't done anything yet, yeah. who hasn't gotten our, hasn't won the hearts over. But now he is, <laughs> you know, he's one of the, one of the greatest of all time. So, yeah, I, I, I'd probably give it a nine just to differentiate it because I do like the first one more. Yeah, I fucking love both of them though, man. Part two is a great watch. Just be prepared to give up your entire day, <laughs> or or yeah. your entire night, as I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it scored six Oscars, winning Best Picture, becoming the first sequel ever to do that. It won Best Supporting Actor for Robert De Niro, Best Director for Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, and Best Original Score for Nina Rota and Carmine Coppola. He got his redemption. In addition, it was nominated for Best Actor for Al Pacino, Best Supporting Actor for Michael V. Gazzo, Best Supporting Actor for Lee Strasberg, Best Supporting Actress for Talia Shire, and Best Costume Design. This franchise dominated the acting portion of the awards. Like, goddamn. It's not, yeah, there's not really any other film you can point out to where the cast uh, was so heavily involved in the award. And this year, award season. a lot of people point at Michael Corleone in Godfather Part Two as Al Pacino's greatest performance. And they think that this was the movie he should have won Best Actor for. 
And he was up against Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Yeah. And Albert Finney in Murder on the Orient Express. Mm. And the guy who won that year was Art Carney. Yep. For Harry and Tonto. How about that? Another career Oscar. And Yeah, you look back and you're like, oh, well, Jack and Al were kind of at the tippy, yeah. know, tippy you know, peak pow- of their powers, you know. So I, I don't know. It's unbelievable. That's upsetting. Oh. So 16 years later... After Coppola had a massive financial failure with his 1982 film, One from the Heart, he decided to complete the Corleone story with The Godfather Part 3. Have you seen that? One from the Heart? No. Oh my god. It's bad. It's horrible. <laughs> I, I bought like a collection of his that was like really cheap and included some random ones and that was one of them. And I, was, I, I watched it and I was like, oh my god, this is bad. Like, What's it about? Garbage, like relationship movie. Oh. Yeah, it was just rubbish, like rubbish. <laughs> I couldn't believe it was his. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. I was like, "This is crazy." Well, you, you can thank that shit movie for Godfather Part Three. Yeah, well, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the biggest letdowns in film history. Yeah, it has an IMDb score of seven point six and a Rotten Tomatoes score of sixty eight percent. Far cry from the nineties. The other two were getting, and I give it a six. Yeah, same. I've seen it twice now, and both times I found it difficult to get into and really boring compared Super to the boring. crackling dialogue and smooth storytelling. This one the first feels two. like the three hours. It feels. This one feels like a cash grab that didn't need to be made. Yeah, ugh, that's annoying. That's really frustrating. And The Godfather Part Three picks up twenty-one years after the events of Part Two. That's also frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, you, ah, that's something that's so cool about the one and two. They're so kind of closely yeah. close knit. It sees Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, and Talia Shire returning to their roles. Robert Duvall was asked to reply, reprise his role of Tom Hagen, but he requested a substantial salary increase on par with Al Pacino's. When Paramount refused, Duvall dropped out, causing the script to be heavily rewritten into what it became. Originally, the film was titled The Death of Michael Corleone, and heavily featured Tom Hagen as the antagonist of the film. Wow. Hagen would be trying to take control of the Corleone family from an aging Michael, and it would have been a, basically a civil war between brothers. And that would have been incredible. That would have been pretty sick, yeah. But instead, Tom Hagen was killed off screen and the story was rewritten. <sighs> Very sad. <laughs> Oscar nominee Andy Garcia was cast in the role of Vincent Mancini, Sonny's bastard son and young protege of Michael's, who is in an incestuous relationship with Michael's daughter, Mary, played by Oscar winner Sofia Coppola, daughter of director Francis Ford Coppola. Garcia received his only Oscar nomination to date for this film, which I disagree with, frankly. Oh, I strongly disagree with, yeah. While Sofia Coppola won for screenwriting for her 2003 film Lost in Translation. Hell yeah. For which she was also nominated for directing and producing. Great movie. Despite her obvious talent behind the camera, she's one of the chief reasons this film didn't work. Mm-hmm. Sofia Coppola cannot act to save her life. No, not at all. Not at all. And her stilted delivery on near Especially at this age. Yeah. Yeah. The fuck? Especially when I looked up the other actresses in the running. The pe- Just fucking choose a real actress, yeah. yeah the like. top three were Julia Roberts, Winona Ryder, and Madonna, who I, I would have picked. Who would have all... Over Sofia Coppola. All at that time had proven to yeah. be fine. Winona yeah. Ryder would have been great, I think. 90s Winona would have been fine. She would have been fresh off Heathers, yeah. She'd, yeah, yeah that would have been great. Iconic character actor Eli Wallach was cast in the role of Don Altobello, a two-faced New York mobster who betrays Michael. Wallach is best known for his roles in 60s westerns like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and The Magnificent Seven. He died in 2014 at age 98 of natural causes. And Eli Wallach really doesn't shine in this one. Nobody shines in The Godfather no. Part 3. No, it's so forgettable. Yeah. 
Uh, Joe Montaigne of Simpsons and Cr- Criminal Minds fame plays the role of disrespectful mobster Joey Zaza, heavily based on real-life mobster John Gotti. And if you recognize Joe Montaigne's voice, he's Fat Tony in The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Zaza runs the Corleone business in New York City and is another of the film's chief antagonists. So the story, and this is going to get kind of confusing because, frankly, I wasn't really sure. On it's most confusing, of this stuff. yeah. Uh, story follows an old, repentant Michael Corleone as he tries to finally make the Corleone family legitimate at every turn, and even attempts to reconnect somewhat with his ex-wife Kay and maintain a relationship with his children Mary and Anthony. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. The, uh, I just got to say, this is not. Uh, from right there, from what you're like, what you're describing the movie yeah. as this is not what the first two Godfathers are about. <coughs> the first two Godfathers are not about like let's make up and you know get closer to my kids. Like, sure, that's all good stuff, like morality wise, but that's not what we're we're here to see. Fucking business and guys taking down each other and going at each other, and making moves at each other, and going back door and lying to each other. That's what we're coming to see, not this fucking. Al Pacino, Mike Corleone. Oh, no, I, I fucked up. Yeah, you did. Like, now keep going. Don't. I don't know. I, I don't like. I don't like. They they kind of changed the whole formula of what these movies are even about, or what they're even. You know what? What yeah. the action that takes Michael place. Corleone does not feel like the same cold bastard no, he was in the no, past. No, and movies. I don't really. I don't really see how they can justify that he's changed so much. I don't. That he's like, oh, he's older and repented. I. That's bullshit. Like. Yeah. I, I just I, I disagree with that. I think it would have been a lot more fun if they would have let him be just kind of grow up to be this sleazy, slimy old man that just keeps making moves and pressing, you know, pulling strings. <laughs> yeah, that's my opinion. I just I get yeah. I, I just I, ah, fuck man. When you already have these two things that are so perfect, either don't fuck it up or or play it over safe, you know, and, and you know, like make sure you're going to give the fans what they want, not something like new. We don't need something new with God. Godfather yeah. 3. We already had two things that were great. I agree. Frustrating. Michael's been haunted by his sins, especially his murder of his brother Fredo. He takes a young man under yeah, his no wing. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Vincent Mancini, his bastard nephew, and a loyal Corleone soldier who's embroiled in a feud with mobster Joey Zaza. Michael tries to make a giant investment with the Vatican, but after the death of the Pope, the deal falls apart and Michael learns it was all a scam by Vatican accountant Frederick Keinzig. After an assassination attempt is made on Michael's life by Joey Zaza and Don Altobello, Michael is enraged and starts to revert back to his old vengeful self again. He utters the famous line, Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That is a good line. That is yeah. a really good line. If only it had been true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my thing. It's like, it's yeah. a good line, but I don't know if the movie They don't actually... deliver at no. all. Michael then suffers a stroke and is hospitalized. His sister Connie assumes control of the family and gives Vincent permission to kill Joey Zaza which he does. Upon waking, Michael is angry with Vincent for his actions and discovers that Vincent is in a romantic relationship with his daughter, Mary. He demands they end it. And that's such a strange inclusion in this film is the incest between cousins here. Especially considering one of them is Coppola's own daughter. Yes. There's a lot of weird that's layers to point that. Out. Yeah. And that Andy Garcia is the, the Academy wanted them to yeah, recognize. Like, what the, I don't know. Hey. I'm not in on that part of the movie. That that, no. that part of the plot. No, thank it's you. It's weird and... Ugh. This isn't... Yeah, this, uh, whatever. This isn't Game of Thrones. It's... Michael travels to... <laughs> Woody <Seattle>. Allen. Uh, <laughs> wow. Diane nice. Keaton. Woody Allen. Ooh. There's all kinds of stuff going Jeez. on here. 70s were weird, man. <laughs> Michael travels to Sicily to hear his son Anthony's first opera. He dropped out of law school to be an opera singer. 
and learns that Don Ottobello has hired a veteran hitman named Mosca to kill him. Michael takes Kay on a tour of Sicily, and he tells her all about his first wife, Apollonia. He begs for Kay's forgiveness, and the two admit they still love each other. And it's a very tender scene, and it's played very well by Pacino and Keaton, and it's my favorite scene. In the uh, agreed, agreed. I, I do love that, but I also, that kind of, mm, I really like the scenes with them when they when she decides, you're a monster. Yeah. So this kind of backtracks that, and it's like, wait I a minute. Agree. So in those first, uh, especially in part two, when she's like, you know, I'm, I'm done. There man. are times where this film feels like the Michael Corleone farewell tour. That's great. Yeah. It's a great... Like, I'm on my way out, so I gotta go talk about everything. Yeah, and throw a couple big-time yeah. lines, one-liners out there yeah. so people can go, oh, I gotta yeah. apologize for Fredo. Yeah. I gotta, see, you know, make peace with my like children. Like it's a press conference, yeah. Yeah, it feels like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, not for me. That's not, that's not, I don't know, that's not for me. So Michael names Vincent his successor and tells him to change his name to Vincent Corleone. Vincent becomes the new Don of the Corleone family and ends his romance with Mary for good. And this is a very sudden scene that does not really it's not built up well it's just kind of there because it needs to be there you know michael's gonna die soon we so need someone to take over they need a new corleone and we're opera, opera dad opera kid's not gonna be in it we're so <laughs> whereas the passing of the torch from Vito to michael Sonny and michael was this big huge yeah. drawn out especially to michael beautiful. because it was so tragic because it's the uh. last thing Vito wanted but it needed to be done. For his life, yeah. Oh, man. One of my favorite scenes in the first film is when Vito confesses to Michael, I never wanted this for you. This is not who you were supposed to be, and I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, God. That's, that's It's amazing. a heartfelt moment from father to son. It's beautiful. <sighs> this movie doesn't have that. <laughs> oh. Uh, no. Yeah. So at the opera, Vincent settles all family business. He has the accountant Keinzig killed and displayed in public to look like a suicide. He has Don Altobello poisoned with Connie's help. However, the new pope, who had confirmed Michael's investment with the Vatican Bank, is poisoned in his sleep. Michael's longtime bodyguard, Al Neri, shoots the archbishop responsible. After the opera, the assassin Mosca makes his move and shoots Michael in the shoulder. However, he gets Mary in the heart and kills her in one of the worst acted scenes in history. Mary just falls to her knees. Sofia Coppola looks Uh. slightly off to the left and goes, Dad? (laughs) And then passes out dead. Oh my god. <laughs> Literally with dad? that amount like my compared to what she did, my dad there was Oscar worthy. It was yeah, great effort from Conrad. Oh Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Vincent manages to kill Mosca while Michael and Kay scream in agony over the death of their daughter. And it's a little bit hammy, if I do say so. Correct, yes. Yeah, my, Michael's like, oh, like opening his mouth super wide, freaking out. Uh, That's 90s Pacino for you right there. <laughs> <laughs> <Hoo-ah>! <laughs> um, the film ends with an elderly, alone Michael Corleone dying suddenly in his chair at a Sicilian villa. No family left to love him or for him to love. Ooh. And that's the Godfather <laughs> Part 3. It's easily the most confusing and dull part of the story. But critics still found it worth watching. It scored seven Oscar nominations. I, yeah, I know. Inclu- I, yeah. Someone, I was looking at the Metascore, someone gave it a hundred. What the fuck? And I was like, that, that's really rare to give it a flat 100. But I was like, the part three? And there's one guy who gave it like a 35. And I was like, oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's my kind yeah. of guy. He <laughs> uh, was nominated for Best Picture, amazingly. I'm so stupid. Best Supporting Actor for Andy Garcia. What, what year was it? 1990. Yeah, this was no. Goodfellas and Dance yeah, with the Wolves. Yeah, no. Well, Dance with the Wolves won. Yeah. This, this it's not as good. Uh, no. Those are both bad. 
Dance with Wolves is not as bad as this, but it should have been Goodfellas. I stand by that. My it's whole not life. even. It's not even close. No, Goodfellas is probably my second favorite mobster story. Yeah, behind The Godfather, and it, yeah, and it lost to <laughs> Kevin Costner's bullshit <laughs> movie. Yeah, best director, amazingly nomination. Uh, best cinematography, art direction. Oh, the Academy is just all over his dick at that point, uh, Francis. Yeah, and best original uh, song for "Promise Me You'll Remember," which I don't remember. <laughs> I will not promise you that. <laughs> so that's the Godfather trilogy. Two yeah. incredible films and one that really didn't need to happen. So I uh, so on average, if you said you gave ten, eight, six? Yeah. So an eight average. An eight average. Of the trilogy, yeah. That's pretty damn good for a trilogy. And I yeah. gave it ten, nine, six. So yeah, around the same. Yeah. 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 Six brings it down. It does. It really does. If that had even been just fine. Or if it had been like really short, you know? Like if it had only been like a... Yeah, quick two hours. And this had been like this was so bad it started a running joke of you know don't make a Godfather Part Three. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just sad. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. It's not easy, but I really don't think there is a a trilogy that starts off so strong and has the body you know has Part Two that's so strong and finishes off so bad. Because a lot of time you'll have the third one be epic and be like the most amazing one. Yeah. Because a lot of time will be the last one. You know, uh, Return of the King with Lord of the Rings, incredible. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars, come on, <laughs> come on. So I don't know. It's just it's uh, really weird that that third part just doesn't even come close to the quality. I feel like more more trilogies end on a shitty note than they do on a positive note. I, I well, yeah. I just think when it yeah. starts off so good, you know yeah. what I mean. Where it would be like if Toy Story three just sucked, like was just horrible, because the first two are like, oh, those are those are fantastic, some of the best animated movies ever. Well, that's how I felt about Spider Man three. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. a great example. Great example of a bad, two great a bad movies three. and one horrible movie. One bad three. Yeah. yeah. What and else is there? What what other trilogies could be? Uh, the Matrix. Matrix. I see. I, I'm obsessed with the first one. Yeah. After that, I'm. I like part two. I think it's all right. Yeah, there's seen there's some things about part two I just adore. Trilogies are fun though to look at how they kind of the ebbs and flows of them. Yeah, but um, we've never seen. I just don't think we've seen something this high. You know, uh, such a high grossing franchise, such a big franchise with huge yeah. names. And very rarely nowadays do things actually stay at three. There's always That's another true. one they make. That's down the true. Road. Something. Yeah, yeah. Some kind of. Yeah. Like I would say, like the. Or at least prior to 2008, the most flawless trilogy was Indiana Jones. Oh, the pure. But those, then those they, three are like, yeah. Mm, bang, but bang, then bang. they made Crystal that Skull. That is probably the best trilogy. Yeah, I love the Lord of the Rings. I yeah, love those three. That's flawless. If you take the Hobbit out of there, which See, I do. there you go. They made more. Yeah, well, they like expanded on the universe. Yeah, yeah really annoying. I don't like that shit. I, <laughs> I really like when things are condensed and kept yeah. kind of to be like pretty and perfect. <laughs> I'm OCD like that with movies, especially. So regarding The Godfather, who would you say is your favorite character of the trilogy? Sonny. Sonny? Sonny's my favorite. Really? Yeah. Why? He's just, he's fucking wild. I, <laughs> I, I like him. He seems like a wild card to me. I, and I always, I always like the aggressor, the, the enforcer in mob movies when it, or, or like, I really like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Yeah. He's the wild... He's kind of just like... You, you know, love the guy with anger problems. Y- yeah, out of nowhere could just be like, um, ah, like I'm <laughs> fucking... T- let's go! Because you need those guys. You need those guys to fight. You need wartime guys, war-ready guys. <laughs> and I think Sonny, like, is the epitome of just like, fucking, like, I live for this shit. I wake up to fucking punch somebody in the face and, like, take their money, you know? And I like that. I, I like, res- I love that. I, like, respect that about that character. He's, he's the guy. If I'm fighting, I want him on my side. 
Hell yeah, I'd rather I want him in my family and yeah. not in the other family. I wouldn't want him on. And the way he'd fucking die, dude. He got shot like thirty times and got out of the car and was like, "Come on!" Like he 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 wanted more. It was it was a lot like Tony Montana and yeah. Scarface, where he just keeps just I take all your boom, bullets. boom 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 yeah, yeah. like oh and Fuck. yes and Sonny he just I don't know I he doesn't you very rarely ever see him like human. He's always in this shit. Like I am I'm focused. This is what it's all about. It's all about business. It's all about my family. It's all about... If this were, like, a, a, a court, like, a king's court, Sonny's been groomed for leadership since birth. For sure. And I I've, I love characters like this in the past. Like, yeah. there, you know, there's plenty of guys who are like, yeah, I'm like, I'm the son who's, like, badass, and I, yeah. I'll fucking make things happen. He's a lot... It reminds me a lot of uh, Arthur Shelby from Peaky Blinders. Oh, yes. Just, like, you know, fucking off the wall. Like, I love, I love that. I love... The one brother who's kind of I I'm I have brothers myself and I think of myself as that in my <laughs> with my brothers is kind of like I can sometimes get a little too loud or a little too angry at something and that's like my thing that's a part of my DNA and I I relate to Sonny I guess that's my that's my favorite character <laughs> that's taking time though because it used to just be Vito straight up it used to just be straight up. Vito's the man everybody else comes second but <laughs> what about you um. It's probably Michael from the first film. First, first, first Michael. film, Michael. See, I'm first Sonny because yeah, because <laughs> you know, Michael just is such a he's a decent human being who falls so far to just a cold blooded killer, and you see it happen in kind the of movie. a Breaking Bad type. Yeah, it's yeah. never it never feels forced or rushed. It's such a gradual build, but you get it the whole time. You know that these are the sacrifices he was forced to make. Yeah, there was no other way out. This is, this is, he this did is it his for his hand. family. Yeah, he did yeah. it to save his father. Ah, and it's so tragic because Vito ends up dying anyway. Yeah, and there was nothing he could have done. It's ah, and Michael's trapped, and this is who he is now. Oh man, it's sad. I love tragic characters. Me too. I, well, yeah, I like observing, especially because we get to see him so much on screen. Observing Michael is, it's like a. It's like you're doing like an assignment, like a psychology. You're like watching this guy just, like you're saying, make decisions based on really other people. Yeah. Not his own ego. Um, yeah. Thinking, holy fuck, if, if I let my other brother Frito take over this, a lot of people are going to die, including him. Yeah. And they're going to be screwed. So I, I have to because my, dis- my discipline level from being in, being in the Navy and being just fucking calm and uh, even keeled, I'm, I'm, I can be that guy. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I can't argue with you at all. I just... Sonny's my favorite because he's, you know... I get it. He's Sonny. But there are... I love so many. I love so many of the characters. So many of the side characters are great. When, when you when you have this kind of a setting and you can be in New York and Italy a bunch, it's like just going to be fun as shit, so... What would you say is your favorite kill? Or death, I guess. Finucci. Finucci. You gotta be. We talked about it earlier. We went into it. It's so cool. It, it, it's the whole... It's that whole, like, ten-minute stretch of him... Finucci telling Vito that he's got big balls, like, I like you, hey, I can get work for you. And Vito's like, mm, I think you're done giving out work. <laughs> I love I love kills like that. I love that shit, just sly. And De Niro's, like, smiling at him, like, you understand, right? That, just, <laughs> that I don't have that extra $150 that I owe you? And and the fact that, yeah, that Finucci thinks he's so big that he can't be touched by him is like, oh, no. And, yeah. and, and with the, the towel. The towel over to silence, and it, on front, yeah, it's just... It looks beautiful. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> Favorite kill for, for Connor. I was also going to go Finucci. Finucci. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I want to talk about it earlier. Because yeah. I was like, I'm going to bring it up again. It's so beautiful. That it's, whole sequence well, it, is it's, great. And it's, yeah, it's kind of that taxi driver De Niro too, where he looks like kind of 
demented. And you say, I kind of, like you said, the lights flickering. It's the whole aesthetic of it's really cool. Very 70s De Niro. Very, very Scorsese like to me, the, the way it's done. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. It embodies the 70s so well, that scene. A very close second would be the murders of uh, the Turk and McCluskey in oh. the first film. Oh, yeah, that's a good where one. Where Michael too. comes out of the bathroom with the gun and he oh. just. You, the camera zooms in on his eyes. You don't even hear what the Turk is saying, and you just know, like he's thinking, like it's now or never. Yeah, I need to do this now. Bah. Or and then he just stands up, one in the head with the Turk, one in the face with McCluskey, or one in the neck, and then one in the head. Crazy. And he just walks out. Amazing. Oh, the turning point. That's the moment where Michael is in the shit for good. So great. Oh, really good. And then Sonny's death too. I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> just just because he is relentless. He gets out of the car. After he gets shot a few times, and yeah, yeah it's really cool. It re- reminds me of a uh, training day when Denzel's like, King Kong, he got <laughs> shit on me. Oh, goddamn. Uh, you're just like, yeah. <laughs> you're just with him. The adrenaline's pumping, yeah. And then I love Vito's reaction to it where he goes to Buena Sera oh, for his dude. favor, and he's like, I dude. don't want his mother to see Buena him Sera. like this. Look how they massacred my boy. Buena Sera. Oh, man. Beautiful. Massacred, yeah. It says that it says that on IMDb, I think, when it's uh, it's like described, it's like massacred Sonny. And you're like, oh From like the Terrible. beginning, Vito is all about family. Yeah. Family's the most important thing to him, so when he loses it, you see it you see the devastation, you feel his pain. You can see like he hasn't slept, yeah. He's, no. Yeah, he's like not eating correctly. The scene that. where he tell where Tom Hagen's drinking to work up the courage to tell Vito his son is dead. And Vito <sighs> comes down and he's like, I know what you're gonna tell me, but you needed to drink first. Yeah. He's like, well, you had your drink, so what are you going to say? And he tells him, and Vito just collapses into tears. Oh, legendary. Brando. God damn. Brando, you're the man. Oh, I you love are it. the man. Oh, this, this I cannot do. <laughs> you never wanted my French. <laughs> you don't even think to call me Godfather. Man. What an iconic, <laughs> iconic. So it's every, every poster you see of mobsters, you see, him, you see that shit, you'd see it when you're growing up at Hot Topic and. Those stores, the mall, you'd see the posters of all the evil movie characters, and he's always right in the fucking middle of it. Without Don Vito Corleone. Without The Godfather, there would be no Scarface. There would be no Goodfellas. There'd be no Casino. There'd be no Peaky Blinders. There'd be no Boardwalk Empire, no Sopranos. Yes. It's the beginning the, the sheer, of this. The yeah. sheer volume of, all, of mobster movies. and like These movies where we get to, they're like guilty pleasures where we get to watch people die and kill and and talk about it like it's like it's like it's business like yeah. it's normal it's everyday life you can thank these these people that came together for this story oh my god and i really i'm really glad they acted upon it cuz the 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 book was written in 1969 yeah. right they acted so quickly upon it when it was already fresh in the minds of readers in america this book was huge and so was the movie and it's just a huge iconic thing the 70s oh man i can't get over you know I've said it a bunch already in this episode, but the 70s are, to me, they're not called the golden era, but to me are is the golden decade of film, of just bang, 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 great stuff coming out. Things that actually should have won winning. Um, fuck, if Godfather came out today, we probably would be like, oh, you know, uh, you know, like wouldn't give it what it deserves. But during the 70s, people recognized what was good, and popular movies were good. This was the highest grossing movie for a long time. And that, that proves something. At that time, the quality was just at a different different kind of level for, for the audience. And we, we, we as an audience desired something better during that time. Everything wasn't spoon-fed and on your fucking streaming services. So things had to be made 
like especially, and they took time, and they were like more of craftsmanship. Movies t- took longer to make. Uh, they're more of a project, and I think there's something about that, the continuity of that, of those 70s movies, of those people working together and making these massive things that are going to live forever, is just fucking better than what's going on right now. That's just my own personal opinion. And I think The Godfather is the forefront of those 70s movies. Um, part one, coming out in 1972, kicking off that decade for the most badass decade in movie history. <laughs> well said. <laughs> God damn. We're gonna we're gonna be planning a podcast on the best picture nominees of the seventies. Yeah, well they they call it what do they call it the New Hollywood era? Yeah, would be like late sixties. So like a lot of people say it started with Bonnie and Clyde, which is sixty seven, and that's kind of like the new. This is what's happening now. We're like these big giant Oscar winning movies are the popular movies, and that started happening in the seventies with you know Patton, Godfather, French Connection, Chinatown, Rocky, Annie Hall, Deer Hunter. Those movies, uh, fucking amazing movies. Star Wars, <laughs> huge stuff happening in the seventies. That's so creative and so so ambitious. And we just don't we don't create like this anymore in America. In American cinema, we don't do it anymore. And it's fucking frustrating. Partly because of Godfather, because they did the sequel so well, and now sequels are a huge thing now. And people yeah. people expand on universes now. But uh, I don't know. There's something about the '70s that's just so damn special because it changes everything. I remember everything. reading about a year ago that they were planning a Godfather prequel TV series called Corleone, and what? I I don't think that ended up happening. Because can you imagine? I don't want to. No. What? What? Because we already had The Sopranos. I think it would take place. It would be about Vito Corleone, like after his uh, flashback sequences in Godfather Two. Yeah. So it would be like. Like when the kids are teenagers. Yes, yeah. So when he's like really yeah. doing like the most evil things he yeah. probably ever did. When he became the Corleone crime family. Yeah. That would be fascinating about how do you even... I can't even wrap my head around who would play who, who would... Yeah. Who the fuck is going to be Vito? Like, how do you take care of that? Yeah. That's not something you can play with, in my opinion. You I'm have glad to really, it didn't happen. Yeah, you have to really know. I, I would only trust it if it was like a, a certain... Like production company, certain uh, channel that was like producing yeah. it, marketing it, and funding it to pay for actors that are good because yeah. you, yeah, these characters are so, so classic American classic uh, type characters. So absolutely, I think it's just just don't touch it. Yeah, they yeah, already I would, fucked I would, it up. I would once leave with it. Godfather three, and it got away relatively unscathed. I don't think it could happen again. Ugh. So now we talked about the Godfather. Let's take a look back. At what happened this week in film. Hell yeah. It was a big week. It there was. was a lot of stuff happened. First up, famous deaths. There was a bit there were a bit more than usual this week. Actress Valentina Cortese died at 96 of natural causes. She was nominated for one Oscar for her role in 1973's Day for Night. Regrettably, I'm not familiar with her work. Mm-mm. This one I did know. British character actor Freddie Jones died at 91 of natural causes. He was famous for his role of Bites in 1980's The Elephant Man and his role of Thufur Howitt in 1984's Dune. But for me, he will always be Monsieur Clarion in 2002's The Count of Monte Cristo. Hell yeah. He's have you read that book before? Yes, I have. It's wow. fantastic It is book. a long one, too. It's one of my favorite stories. It's a really... Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's one of those stories that I think had to be It's written. the best revenge tale ever written. Yeah. And I... I want to write something based off it one day. Oh, that'd be cool. A revenge tale. It'd be really cool. Oh. And Freddie Jones is the father of British actor Toby Jones, 
famous for his role of Dr. Arnim Zola in the Captain America films. And uh, I liked Freddie Jones. I liked him in The Elephant Man. Me too. Oh, man, me too. Love The Elephant Man. Uh, Denise Nickerson died at age 62 of a seizure. She was famous for her role of Violet Beauregard in 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. This was sad. She was the first child of the film series to uh, die. Regrettably, I think that sad. the kids are all that's left. Very oh, sad. Man, that's that's devastating. Yeah. What a classic film for so many childhoods. Oh, yeah. I, I could watch that movie all day. I could still, yeah, I still like go back and re- revisit it. Yeah. The and, colors, yeah. yeah. Uh. And this one hurt. Veteran character actor Rip Torn died at age 88 of an undisclosed reason, but one can assume it was natural causes. Yeah. Torn was famous for his roles in Men in Black, Dodgeball, and The Larry Sanders Show. He was nominated for an Oscar for his role in 1983's Cross Creek. And I always loved him as Captain Scully in 1985's Summer Rental. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love Dodgeball. <laughs> Patches so O'Hula. Yeah. It's like, I well, got two hookers in the back. <laughs> <laughs> will, will somebody catch a goddamn ball? <laughs> dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Oh, so good. <laughs> Patches O'Hula. <laughs> oh, he was great. Oh, shit. And then Zed and Men in Black. We're not yes. hosting an intergalactic yeah. kegger out there. Like, just, He was uh, great. I loved Rip Torn. Tough stuff. I actually, I watched Dodgeball a couple weeks ago, and I remember saying, like, what happened to Rip Torn? Wow. And then a week later, he died. Here we are, uh, recording a podcast, honoring his Very name. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yes, sir. Rip Torn. Patches. Next in movie news, Indonesian actor Joe Taslim has been cast as Sub-Zero in the upcoming Mortal Kombat reboot which is set for release in 2021 and is produced by James Wan. Woo! So that could be cool. I'm, I'll go see it. I yeah. want an R rating or I'm not seeing it. R rating and I need to see the trailer. Yeah. 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 That'll be the one where I actually need to see the trailer. I, I like think. the 90s Mortal Kombat movie for different reasons. I think it's goofy and it's a fun watch, but it is terrible PG-13 at, like fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, god damn. <laughs> we need more. We need better. We deserve better. <laughs> Uh, this one was cool. Sam Raimi, while promoting his new production, Crawl, has said that he and Bruce Campbell are tossing around ideas for a possible Evil Dead 4. I'm a massive Evil Dead fan. Dun, 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 dun. I really oh, yeah. hope this is true. Ash vs. Evil Dead ended on such a massive cliffhanger that it would be awesome to just wrap ah, it up with a fuck, movie. fuck, that'd be great. I would love that. Did you see Crawl? I haven't yet. Neither I was so I. surprised at the reviews. Yeah, me too. Me too. 89%. I'm what definitely, definitely going to try this. to see that this yeah. week, yeah. Oh my god. Let me know if you go anytime this week. Yeah, I was, I'll be free a little I'll bit. Probably so. go I'm gonna go tomorrow. Or Friday. Depending what time you go tomorrow, I might be able to join. Yeah. yeah. How uh, about that, y'all? We're gonna go see Crawl tomorrow. Yeah? <laughs> this was cool. David Fincher is developing a biopic on Citizen Kane screenwriter Herman Mankiewicz. Who's David Fincher? <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. <laughs> He's alright. The film is titled Mank, and it will star Gary Oldman as Herman Mankiewicz. I'm in. So this could be to really cool. Anything else? <laughs> I'm in. That'll be nice. I think it's on Netflix, so that'll be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. Dexter Fletcher, director of Rocket Man, will be replacing Guy Ritchie as director of Sherlock Holmes Three, set for 2021 release, with both Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law set to rep- reprise their roles. I'm in on that. Dexter Fletcher did a good job with Rocket Man, and he directed most of Bohemian Rhapsody as well. Yeah. Brian Singer was fired. So I'm, I'm down. Douchebag, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm in on that. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Oliver Jackson Cohen has landed the lead role of Blumhouse's The Invisible Man, set for release in 2020. He's known primarily for his role of Luke Crane in the Netflix series The Haunting of Hill House. 
which I have. I not heard yet. Haunting of Hill House is coming back for season two soon. Yeah, the haunting of something else. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. I love that first season. I, I still gotta watch. That. I thought I thought it was legitimately scary. Like there were times where I, so nice. that's not easy to do with a TV show. So. Um, Austin Butler has been cast as Elvis Presley in I Baz Luhrmann's upcoming Elvis biopic. Good for him. That will co-star Tom Hanks as Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Tom. Butler is known primarily for his role of Will Olmsford on the fantasy series The Shannara Chronicles. And this one wasn't really new news. It's just something I, I uh, discovered. Blumhouse is doing a remake of Black Christmas this December. Oh, shit. Sorry, Carrie Elwes and a bunch of other people I've never heard of. Cool. So, I can't wait. I'm excited, yeah. Yeah, holy shit. No trailer yet, but I saw it listed on upcoming. It's already got a poster. I'm good on trailer. I'm I'm in. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of trailers, the trailer for The King's Man was released. It tells the origin story of the Kingsman organization during the First World War and has an incredible cast of Rafe Fiennes, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Matthew Good, Gemma Arterton, Jamon Hunsau, Tom Hollander, Stanley Tucci, Reese Effens, Daniel Bruhl, and Charles Dance. Unbelievable. How these movies have done what they've done and get the people on board is Holy crazy shit to me. And, what money yeah. are they playing with? Like, and Matthew Vaughn is coming back to direct. Oh, so, hell yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in on that. That's going to be cool. Oh, fucking Fianis, man. It's my guy. <laughs> He's great. Marvel announced that Taika Waititi is returning to write and direct Thor 4. Yay! Fantastic. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. That's I, great. I talked about this in my top five for... <laughs> <laughs> for the Marvel movies, let guys like this make these movies. They'll be so much fun, and they'll be the characters will be uh, will be come to life so much better when you like guys who have a sense of humor direct the movie. Not uh, to mention, after the failure of Men in Black International, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson are going to need this to fall. They back need on. this back. They need this bad. <laughs> what was what was the point of that? Oh, the my Men God. in Black. The, I didn't even bother seeing it. Oh fuck no! Why would I? Oh. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I have so much to <laughs> say about that. What was the point of that? But. Uh. Rob Zombie released the first full trailer for his upcoming horror film, Three from Hell. I saw that trailer, A sequel yeah. to his 2005 cult horror flick, The Devil's Rejects. One of the most sickening movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And this one's just going to double down on that shit. And, oof, it looks grisly. Yeah, it does. You know, the tra- trailer is pretty, pretty terrifying. Yeah, looks like a grindhouse movie. I'm in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this one was kind of weird. I'm interested to know your thoughts on this. Greta Gerwig is attached to write and possibly direct the upcoming Barbie movie set for release next year with Margot Robbie set to star. Greta Gerwig doing Barbie. What do you think? I don't know. She has um, Little Women coming out. Uh, when is that? Later this year? Or? I think so. Probably yeah. around award season. But Barbie. That's a different... Oh yeah, Margot Robbie is perfect. Is probably the most perfect person we've ever had in Hollywood to play Barbie. It was Amy Schumer for the longest time. Thank God that didn't Jeez happen. Louise. Talk about a name I fucking despise. Me too, man. Ugh. She is bad for girls in America. You're bad. You're a bad influence on people. I can't stand you, Amy Schumer. Well, she's not Barbie anymore, thank no, God. No, and Greta Gerwig is like, I love her. She's off the wall, so that's going to be a really interesting... Um, yeah. I might actually see that. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, yeah, I'm a, a huge, 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 huge Francis Ha fan. So if there's any kind of quirkiness of that, yeah, I'm in. I'm down on that. That'd be cool. For Barbie? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe Barbie will have some, like, actual thought. I don't know. Maybe there'll be something going on. I don't some know. actual thought. Yeah. I love it. I wonder just who's not play... just a toy. Yeah. I wonder who's going to play Ken. Um, <laughs> Harry Styles is in talks to play Prince Eric in Disney's upcoming live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. Uh, I... All right. <laughs> I don't really... 
I don't even want to talk about the Little Mermaid. I don't have thoughts on Harry Styles. I do like the Little Mermaid, and I no, I do. I just I'm fucking tired of seeing stuff on the internet. Oh, yeah. Horrible comments. I get I, you. I'm fucking yeah. tired of it. It's disgusting. I talked about that. Last Why do week? we even care? I don't know. Well, there's children dying in our city, in everybody's city, and you're on Facebook complaining about because like that is beyond me. That our that that's what we're concerned about. That people are making memes. Yeah. People, taking taking yeah. this girl down because of her skin tone is. Un- unbelievable! It's Crazy a whole, people it's a whole new shit. kind of racism. It's like yeah. a whole new kind of prejudice on the internet, where people are making memes of like appalling stuff, like disgusting stuff, and I can't over the fucking Little Mermaid. Like, get off, Jesus Christ! Come <laughs> off it, dude! Like, get out of here! I can't believe people freak out like that over a kids movie. Yeah, this was made for children. <laughs> like, who cares? Uh, on the positive side, Melissa McCarthy's going to play Ursula, so that's... No, that's, that's great. That's great. No, me... No, honestly, I didn't mean to be me. I'm no, going to see you. The Little Mermaid. I know what I can't wait to see The Little Mermaid. I get what you mean. I'm going to take my girlfriend and my daughter to see it. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But the fact that, like, that's attached with it, yeah. and so when I hear about it, like, at work or whatever, friend brings it up, I'm like, I don't even want to f- fucking talk about it, because I don't want to... Those things, if they're in your head, are going to make you negative, because you're going to realize how shitty our society is, and you're going to become cynical. And I don't want to become cynical, so I choose <laughs> to not think about it because I'm already I'm already angry enough about other things. I don't need to add Little Mermaid to the mix. Like everybody, calm down. It's a movie. Like, <laughs> what about what about all the shit we do where we use you know American people for a native character or an Indian character, or a yeah. Chinese character? So get out of here. Like, come on. As if mermaids all have to be white with red hair. All right. <laughs> Move on. Damn. All right. Struck a nerve there. You uh, did, yeah. Well, not you. Not you. It's... I... Yeah. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Well, finally, the news I was most excited about, Christoph Waltz is returning to the role of Ernst Stavro Blofeld for the upcoming yet-to-be-titled 25th James Bond film set for release next year. I never thought he'd be coming back. I was so excited to hear I know. It's kind of relief a little bit. Yeah. Here. Oh, boy, yes. He's going to okay. get to be a proper Blofeld with a okay. good story this time. I didn't, it's not that I didn't like Spectre, it's just, I got... It's alright. I was tired of the, you know, is he Blofeld, is he not Blofeld? He, he, we knew he was Blofeld the whole time. And it's alright. We didn't yeah. need the whole stepbrother thing. I want to go back to Skyfall. Yeah. I want to come back to that that that, that tone. Well, Christoph Waltz joins Rami Malek, Ana de Armas, Billy Magnuson, and series regulars Daniel Craig, Ray Fiennes, Naomi, Naomi Harris, Ben Wishaw, Leah Sedu, and Jeffrey Wright. And what is sure to be the best swan song that Craig could ask for. It's going to be his final Bond film. Mm. And uh, Kerry Fukunaga is set to direct. And okay. I'm yeah, excited. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be good. Me too. And that's all for this week in film. Thank you so much for showing us the utmost respect today on Filmgasm. We hope you enjoyed this epic tale of one family's rise, fall, and rise, and fall again. Join us next week where we go back into horror with a film that is sure to divide film fans as it has divided us, the newly released Ari Aster sophomore effort Midsummer, A tale of a group of college students who travel to a remote Swedish village for a once-in-a-generation festival of life, death, and love. Of course, shit goes sideways pretty damn quick. Here are two cents on this bizarre film next week. And until then, feel free to subscribe or leave a review on iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, or the website Filmgasm.com. We appreciate your interest, and we want you to know this is only going to keep going so long as we enjoy doing it, and we most certainly do. Hell yeah. Jesus Christ, this is the best part of my week, yeah. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Thank you so much to Austin Johnson, Caleb Leger, and Josh Allred for rounding out the Filmgasm family, and we will see you next Wednesday.